It's great to be with you guys this morning again. Uh, we really love you guys. We love Substance Church, and you've been an, a tremendous encouragement and help to us as we follow the Lord and what he has for us. Um, this morning, unfortunately, Devin and the kids couldn't be with us, and some of you have come up to me and asked, hey, is Devin, and the, are the kids coming? I'm like, no, Devin's not feeling great. It's like, oh. Cat <laughs> even said, well, we're glad you're here. <laughs> but uh, they send their love. Devin's bummed that she wasn't feeling up for it. Um, so I'm excited to get into God's word with you. Ronnie, I've got some good news, bad news, though. Bad news is I'm stretching out your mic because my head's so fat. So we'll work on that. Uh, good news is you ran out of chairs. Bad news is I'm going to have to bring some back. <laughs> we grac they graciously let us borrow some of your chairs for our house church thing, what we're doing right now. So I'm going to have to bring some back because uh, God is blessing you guys. And it's awesome to see so many people here. So... Uh, as a guest myself, I want to welcome the rest of you guests. This is awesome. And we pray that God continues to encourage you today. Um, we're going to pick up, like Ronnie said, this is week three of the Acts series, um, the church that Jesus builds. Psalm 127.1 is a familiar verse. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. That basically means uh, if God ain't in what you're doing, you're wasting your time. And so as we go through Acts, we're seeing what God is about, how his spirit moves, how he builds his church. It is by his power and according to his plan that he does it and for his glory. Because how many of you know, you can build a church using a lot of different methods and a lot of different ways. You can draw a crowd, but unless the Lord builds it, you labor in vain. Amen. Amen. So we're going to dig in. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the back. I would really encourage you to grab it. We got some ground to cover today. And if you don't have a Bible you're tracking with, you might get lost in the mix. Um, I want you to track with me and hold me accountable. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts 2. We're going to start at verse 1. If you're using the Bible from the back, I believe it's on page 855. And you'll be able to follow with us. Um, last week, Pastor Ronnie talked about wait, pray, trust and move. And he challenged us from Acts chapter 1. And uh, how many of you know that nobody likes to wait? It's hard to wait. You go to the BMV, it's like the worst place in the world. You do not want to wait. Um, but Jesus uh, was really clear several times when he gave his disciples the command and the instruction to wait before they did anything else, to wait for the Holy Spirit. John 14 at the Last Supper, I mean, it's just hours before his death. He's sitting with his dudes and he says, hey, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because another, and neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Hold on, guys, it's coming. Then Luke in chapter 24, after his resurrection, Jesus says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Just hold on, guys, just wait. Like this church thing's going to happen, but wait. Then you've already covered Acts chapter 1. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When you're waiting, don't you kind of like to know how long you got? Again, at the BMV, you pull your number and it's like 46 and you're like 82. You're like, oh man, this is not good. I'm going to run to Starbucks and I'll be back. I'm going to go get a haircut. I'll be back. Um, 
Not many days from now. Jesus clued them in like, you're not going to have to wait too long. And then Acts 1.8, right before he ascends back to heaven to be with his father, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the end of the earth. It's like, okay, Jesus, we get it. You've told us several times we got to wait. But now what? What do we do while we're waiting? Like how long are we going to have to wait? And who or what are we waiting for exactly? How are we going to know when you actually come or he comes or it comes or whatever's coming? How are we going to know? This week, um, we, me and our two youngest kids, we traveled to Delaware on the East Coast for a family funeral. And so our youngest, her name's Shiloh, she's seven. And so we're driving across Pennsylvania, and if you made that trip, it's long. Like, you take the turnpike from one end to the other. And she's like, are we in Delaware yet? No, we're still in Pennsylvania. She goes, come on. I said, I know, it's long. She's like, when are we going to get there? I said, when we get there, I'll tell you, because there's going to be this big white sign that says, welcome to Delaware. So she asked a few more times, are we still in Pennsylvania? Yes, we're still in Pennsylvania. How do you know when you get to the next state? You see the big welcome sign. And so we got there and I showed her and everything. There's always a sign. And so the disciples are kind of wondering, I'm sure, like, what's the sign? How are we going to know what we're waiting for when it comes? We don't want to miss it. And that's what we're going to look at today. Pray with me one more time. Father, we ask that you would um, open our ears to hear you speak to us by your spirit through your word this morning. God, open our hearts, no matter what our week has been like, uh, we thank you that your presence is here with us. And so, Lord, we pray that the truth of your word, the promises of your word, the warnings of your word, and the hope of your word would sink deep in our hearts today as we're reminded of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to start Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. You know from Acts chapter 1... Uh, he tells us that Jesus, after he resurrected, he hung out on the earth for 40 days. Remember that? We don't think about that or talk about that often, but like he resurrected, it's like, oh, amazing. He appears to the disciples, like walks through walls. And then it tells us for 40 days he did that. He appeared to different people. At one time he appears to a crowd of 500. And it's like Jesus was just chilling for a while. He makes breakfast on the beach for his disciples one morning. And then at the end of the 40 days, he ascends to his father. And then Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Pause right there. Okay, so it's giving us a time. It's telling us when this happened. It's happened on the day of Pentecost, which for the Jews was also known as the Feast of the Harvest or Feast of Weeks. It was one of their annual festivals. And it always happened 50 days after Passover. So we know that Jesus was crucified Passover weekend, right? That happened that weekend. We know from Scripture that he hung around for 40 days after that weekend. And so where we are this morning is on the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after. So this happened about 7 to 10 days after Jesus departed, after he gave his great commission and ascended, and they watched him go up in the clouds. It's about a week after that. Are you with me? Just for those of you that, like, are bugged out, like, how long was it? It kind of tells us here, okay? So they weren't waiting super long. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Good. That's what he told them to do. They were waiting for him. Awesome. Verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So at this time, Pastor Ronnie's going to come up and give a demonstration of that. <laughs> oh, that's next week. Sorry. No, so this huge, it says they're all together in one place. They're sitting in the house. Most likely the house meant the temple. The temple's referred to the house uh, later on in Acts. And you probably wouldn't find a house in Jerusalem this time that would fit 120 people sitting on the ground. We're cramming 50 people of our church plant in a pretty big size house, and it's hard. So I can't imagine a house holding 120 people. Most likely they're in the temple. And this huge, loud, rushing wind sound comes through. And then the next thing they know, they see these tongues of fire and it's like, and it's like resting on them. And so audibly and visually, they see this manifestation. And as you read through scripture, uh, a wind is often associated with the spirit of God moving. And fire is often uh, designating that God's presence is with his people all through the Old Testament. So these are kind of symbols and signs that they would get. Like, welcome to Delaware. Like, they would get that God is doing something in this moment, that he is present with them. This must be what we have been waiting for. And so they're all filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 4, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I just can't imagine what that was like. So this says all filled, not just the, the apostles. Men, women, children, leaders, lay people, everybody, the 120 are speaking in tongues. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Dudes, that's an important verse. Sometimes we wonder like why we're waiting and how long we're waiting. How many of you know that God's time is right on time? At this moment, mostly because of the Passover, Jews from all known parts of the world had gathered in Jerusalem, speaking all different languages. They were, had come for the Passover. They've hung around for Pentecost. And God's like, um, now is when I'm going to send my spirit. Verse 6, and at this sound... The multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language and they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Like, what is going on? Like, why is this happening? And look at the response. But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Basically, they're drunk. And I'm thinking like, yeah, that's a likely explanation. Most drunk people become more articulate and learn a different language when they're intoxicated. <laughs> But in those two verses, you see two different heart responses to the Spirit of God when he's at work. You see that? One heart says, what does this, what's this mean? What's going on? They're drawn to it. They're curious. They're hungry. They want to know. And the other heart attitude, when the Spirit of God moves, I was like, 
whatever, they're crazy and just flippant and dismissive. They must be drunk. The heart is cold, not responding to what God is obviously doing. Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Now, if you know anything about Peter, do you think maybe in that moment, as Peter's getting to get up, John just kind of put his hand on Peter's arm like, dude, no. <laughs> dude, let me, let, let, me, let me get this. Peter is notorious for putting his foot in his mouth. He's notorious for being the first one to speak, and often it's like off the wall, like what just came out of your mouth, dude? And so you got to think, like maybe the disciples, the other apostles, get a little nervous when Peter's getting ready to stand up. And, uh, um, but watch what happens. Because this isn't the same Peter we've seen through the Gospels. It is, but it isn't. Listen to what Peter says, the latter part of 14. Lifted up his voice and Peter addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my word. So already he's a little bit more uh, professional here. 15, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, which meant 9 a.m. in the morning. He's like, seriously, guys, like, come on. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now, I don't know about you. This is amazing to me. Peter, on the spot, just goes into this exquisite sermon, tying together prophecy from the Old Testament. He's quoting it. He's obviously memorized it as a young Jewish boy. He's quoting and just like unloads the word of God and ties it together and says, this is Jesus. This is all, it's all pointing to Jesus. And listen to what he says. This is what was offered, uh, spoken through the prophet Joel, verse 17. And in the last days, this is, the Joel, this is Joel speaking, Peter's quoting him. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show you wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All of that was from Joel chapter 2. He just rattles that off. He's like, this is that, guys. Verse 21, or verse 22. Peter continues, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. I mean, think about it. There are people in Jerusalem right now that actually saw Jesus and actually saw him do miracles. They might have actually eaten the bread and the fish that he multiplied for the crowd. He's like, Peter's like, you guys, like, this, Jesus, this is the one that's talking about. You've seen his miracles. You can't deny it. You can't excuse that away. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Uh, how many of you know that's not the way to win friends and influence people? You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, 
loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now look at this 25. For David says concerning him, again, Peter starts quoting scripture, prophecy spoken by the King David. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So he quotes David from Psalm 16 there. And although David wrote this psalm, spoke this psalm in the first person, Peter is putting together that David's not talking about David. David's talking about the coming Messiah. And so in the middle of this sermon, Peter's like, David was talking about Jesus. Look at what he says in uh, 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. He's like, you guys know the place you walk by every day down the street? David's tomb? Yeah, he's still in there. His bones are still in there. This, this verse in Psalm that he, David spoke, is, he's not talking about himself. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that... We all are witnesses. I think he's referring to the 120. They had seen Jesus over those 40 days like, guys, we're all witnesses. We've seen him. We're telling you we've seen him. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. What he's saying in 33 is the fact that that we're seeing the Holy Spirit move in this way today is further evidence that Jesus was who he says he was. He promised that he would send his spirit, so if the spirit has come, that must mean he was God, he went up to heaven and sent a spirit. Like, guys, you're seeing it. He's just pointing out to them what they're experiencing. Verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, speaking of Jesus, both Lord, which means God, and Christ, which meant the Messiah, the anointed one. This Jesus whom you crucified. It's like boom, mic drop. He tied together the prophets from the Old Testament that that whole crowd knew. They were all Jews. They knew the scripture. He says, this is what Joel was talking about. This is what King David, who we all love and revere, this is what David was talking about. It is fulfilled in Jesus. And he is both Lord, he is God. He's speaking to Jesus' deity, which was a huge thing. And he's Christ. He's saying, he, Jesus, the one that you've seen, the one that you've heard, you've seen his miracles, he's our Messiah. He is God and he is our Messiah. And you crucified him. And so, I mean, there is a crowd of people 
And Peter just laid it out. Succinctly, clearly, biblically, accurately, <laughs> he lays out the gospel. And he points out their sin and their culpability in the death of Jesus. God preordained this, but you aren't off the hook. You were party to his death. The one that you crucified, he is our Messiah. And so what's their response? Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. How many of you know what it's like to be cut to the heart? When the Spirit of God cuts you to the heart, it kind of hurts, doesn't it? Kind of takes the wind out of your sails. It humbles you. When the Spirit cuts us to the heart, we see that God is much bigger and we are much smaller, that he is more holy, and we see our sin more and more for what it is. But how many of you know that in that place where we're cut to the heart, it's a sweet place? where We've been reminded of who he is and also of his love for us. And so it says that the crowd, they were cut to the heart. And listen, we know that they're cut. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter, in light of what you just said, like we believe it, like what hope do we have? What do we do now? We've crucified God, our Messiah. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter's preaching here is consistent with John the Baptist, repent and be baptized, consistent with Jesus, go and make disciples, repent and be baptized. Peter and all throughout Acts are going to see repent and be baptized, turn from your sin, turn to the Lord. In baptism, we follow in obedience. Baptism doesn't save us, but it shows to the world in a public way that we are identifying with Christ's death and resurrection that because of his sacrifice, our sins are cleansed. Say, make a public declaration of your repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And the promise is you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 39. This is the good news. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who far off, are far off, everyone, who, excuse me, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Guys, this, this promise isn't just for you because you experienced this supernatural thing today. The same promise, the same invitation, the same call is to all of your descendants and to everyone who's afar off. The Lord is calling you. Ephesians 2 says, You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. How many of you know that's good news? Many of us were far, far off when the Lord brought us from darkness to light. Almost done. Verse 40. And with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. I mean, throughout his message, he's warning them. He's not candy-coating it. 
He's not pulling any punches. He's like, I'm warning you, save yourselves. You crucified the Lord. Come to him, repent, and be baptized. And finally, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The Lord builds his church from 120 probably nervous, scared, anxious believers that morning to 3,120 that afternoon. Because the Lord moved by his spirit, empowered Peter to speak the word, proclaim the word, and the Holy Spirit drew the hearts of men and women to himself. This is what the spirit does. I mean, can you, pick, can you picture the disciples later that night sitting around being like, dude, I'm so glad we waited. Like, this is so much better than what we had planned. Jesus knows what he's doing. He's faithful. He came through. I don't think they had any idea it would be like that. Do you think that they were starting to take any credit for what happened that day? So, Matt, what in the world does this have to do with me? What does this have to do for Substance Church? And church, I would tell you, the Spirit of God is still doing the same thing. Well, what do you mean? Acts 1.8 said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and to all the ends of the earth. The Spirit of God is doing the same thing today. The Spirit of God sends us out. And so often when churches talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about this supernatural, weird, fuzzy feeling thing and some weird stuff. And it's like, oh, I want the Holy Spirit. No, I don't. It's kind of weird. Like, ah, I don't know. Well, the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to send us out like he did that, that morning with Peter to proclaim the gospel. The Spirit of God, if you saw it, moves toward people. I love that when the Holy Spirit showed up, he gives uh, them the gift of speaking of, in tongues in that moment. And in that moment, in that passage, I believe, obviously, it was natural languages that were known human languages that they didn't know themselves. It was a supernatural gift. But look at the significance of that. All throughout Scripture, we see God and his character continually moving toward people. Sinful, broken, lost people. He continually goes out of his way to come near to us. And even in this moment, as he sends his spirit, it's not just to be like a vitamin B shot in the arm of the church of those 120 are like, whoo, I felt warm and fuzzy and I saw a flame. No, it's to send them out, to move them toward the lost. Do you see that? The spirit of God moves us toward others. He sends us out. And you see, if you were one of those Jews that spoke a different language from another part of the world at that time. You're in Jerusalem, and you hear somebody speaking about God in your own language. Think about how that would make you feel. You ever traveled abroad or in a foreign country where you are the minority and you don't speak the language? Doesn't that feel really isolating? You're a little scared at times, like, dude, if I get lost, like, I'm a dead man. I feel helpless. It's like, yeah. And how many of you have been in that place where all of a sudden you run into somebody in the airport that speaks English? You're like, oh man, don't you just breathe a sigh of relief? You feel a little more at home. You feel a little more safe. You feel a little more accepted. You don't feel so alone and isolated. And so here all these people are from all these different parts of the known world. They hear the gospel being preached in their own tongue. 
the Spirit of God was moving toward people. And so I'd ask you, how might the Lord want to empower you by His Spirit to move toward people? Don't look for the weird, freaky thing to happen. Look for the fruit of, wow, I, Lord, you've given me so much, Lord. Uh, you've given me a heart for my neighbors. Like the donut thing is a move of the Spirit of God, believe it or not, through donuts. And I'm saying amen to that because I like donuts. But what the Lord calls you to, the, the heart that he gives you, what he breathes into will always move you toward people. If the Spirit of God is moving in a church and all the church does is become more inward focused, let me go out on a limb and say that's not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will always send us out to reach the lost. The second thing the Spirit of God always does is he always draws. He sends us out and he draws people to himself. He draws people to Jesus Verse 6 said, at this sound, the multitude came together. Their hearts wanted to know what's going on, what does this mean, and at the end, what shall we do? The Spirit of God draws people's hearts to Jesus. The Spirit of God is the one who cuts to the heart of people. He cuts to the hard heart of people and opens them to the gospel. And that is still his job. So maybe this morning you would say, you know what, I feel like the one who is far off. Like maybe at one time I was kind of felt close to the Lord and now I've just been doing my own thing. I don't even know why I'm here this morning, but something that you're saying from this, Matt, I feel like I, I want to know more. And could it be that the Lord is, is, is speaking to me by his spirit and, and I'm being stirred? Absolutely. He is calling to you, even though you're far off. I mean, look at Peter. Peter spent three years with Jesus and he denied him. And, and Jesus most, uh, Biggest time of need on the human side, Peter denies him three times, cursing, saying, I don't even know the guy. I don't know what you're talking about. And now the Lord is using him to proclaim the gospel. And 3,000 people are added to the church today. Peter knew shame. Peter knew what it was to be tight with the Lord and then kind of bail and turn his back. And Peter knew what it was to be brought back and experience the grace and love of Jesus. If that's you here today, then this message is for you. That Jesus invites you to come back. And for all of us, if we're believers, uh, Paul says later uh, in the New Testament to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not looking for mighty rushing winds and tongues of fire and all of that stuff happening. We're looking for the Spirit of God to fill us with the same spirit that rose Christ Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that moves us toward people with the love of Christ. That is what we want when we say, God, fill us. You bring comfort, you help us understand scripture, you bring conviction of sin, but you move us toward people as Jesus laid his life down for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these reminders from your word this morning. Lord, forgive us for when we think we can do the Christian life on our own, like, okay, Jesus, you saved me, and now I'm going to work really hard and be a good Christian. Lord, we can't do anything apart from your spirit, anything that matters. And so, Lord, for those of us this morning that know you, um, God, I pray for each and every one of us that you would fill us with your spirit afresh this morning.
Lord, that is a prayer that you promise you'll answer. That's your will for us. If you want us to be filled with your spirit. And so all across this room, if, you're, if your heart is stirred, if you want to be filled with the spirit, I would just encourage you on your own heart, uh, just say, Lord, fill me today. Fill me with your spirit. Empower me, God, to be sent out. Open my eyes to the people all around me that you have sent me to in my neighborhood, in my school, in my workplace, Lord. How can I move toward them by the power of your spirit? Send us, Lord. And Lord, for those this morning that you're drawing, God, continue to draw us. For those who have felt that they're, they're far off, Lord, I pray that your spirit today would draw them back. Lord, that they would repent, that they would turn from their sin. Lord, that you would give them hope and that you would fill them with your spirit. Fill us, send us, draw us to yourself. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, your mercy, and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.